Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. For more in-depth perspectives and interesting stories, sign up for our daily newsletter at tvo.org daily. Generations rarely get to choose what defines them. War, economic collapse, natural disasters have all interceded to shape past cohorts. It's hard to imagine that the arrival of COVID-19 isn't poised to do the same for the generation just coming up and perhaps others too. But let's put that to some folks who've been thinking about it. In Bouchette, Quebec, Joel Westheimer, University Research Chair in Democracy and Education at the University of Ottawa. In Peterborough, Ontario, Madeline Barbarian, a fourth-year student at Trent University and a fellow at Future Majority, a nonpartisan organization devoted to youth and political action. And here in the provincial capital, Richard Warzel, futurist and financial analyst with his company, Future Search. And it's great to welcome you three onto TVO tonight uh, for, uh, I would suggest, an important and timely conversation. Richard, explain to us uh, off the top, if you would, how important is the society young people come of age in when it comes to shaping them and their futures? Well, if you look in, look backwards for a moment, as to look for an analogy, my parents' generation, the so-called greatest generation, lived through, my parents grew up uh, in the Depression and lived through World War II, and it changed and shaped and marked them for the rest of their lives. When my mother died, my father died first, when my mother died, and we were cleaning out her apartment, we found old batteries that she, weren't, she hadn't thrown away. We found sheets that had holes in them. We found I mean, all sorts of leftover things that she just didn't throw away, neither she nor my father. Uh, and it was very clear that it was because they had lived through such extreme times when things were hard to come by. So it it is obvious that the circumstances in which you emerge, in which you grow, in which you develop, um, uh, affect you for the rest of your life. They pattern you. They, they put their stamp on you. And I think that that's going to happen with the current generation as well. Richard, I'm just uh, follow up on this, if you would. I'm trying to imagine, you know, if you're in your mid-20s right now, you've lived in the aftermath of 9-11, you've experienced the Great Recession, and now here we are, the coronavirus. I mean, it's hard to imagine that that's not going to mess you up pretty badly somewhere along the way. Fair to say? Yes, I, I believe so. And particularly, I think that you're going to see it happen in a number of different areas. Socially, social distancing and having to stay away from people is going to affect how people interact interpersonally. Uh, if financially, the stress of uh, the financial stresses of 2007 eight, nine, ten, the Great Recession, um, are, have affected and continue to affect young people uh, in their ability to finance their, their educations and their ability to find uh, jobs and their ability to, to afford housing. Um, so, and the 9-11 the aspect has changed the way we look at the world. We don't feel quite as comfortable uh, with the, the outside anymore. We're not quite as easy peasy about it. So, yes, I think that all of those things are going to affect um, young people on a number of different levels. 
And add to that the economic and financial consequences of COVID. And you've got uh, the makings of a major, major uh, um, impact on the younger people of today. Well, Richard, just referred to the greatest generation. We know, of course, of Gen X, Gen Z. The Atlantic Magazine has just written a piece about something called Generation C for coronavirus. And let me read an excerpt of that as we set up the next part of our discussion. Kids, college students, and those in their first post-graduation jobs are also uniquely vulnerable to short-term catastrophe. Recent history tells us that the people in this group could see their careers derailed, finances shattered, and social lives upended. Predicting the future is a fool's errand, even when the world isn't weathering what looks to be an epoch-defining calamity, but in the disasters of the past lie clues that can begin to answer a question vital to the lives of millions of Americans. What will become of Generation C? They're talking about you, Madeline, as you listen to this conversation and you hear that excerpt. What's going through your head right now? Well, I'd love to call Generation C instead the future majority because that's where our name comes from. Gen Z and millennials who are just entering the workforce or in high school or university right now and experiencing these things. So uh, with our organization as a non-for-profit, non-partisan, we are focused on amplifying these voices. Uh, and I don't know if you're familiar, we're called the future majority because in Canada, we're the largest voting block right now. Mm -hmm. So we really have a position where we can make some change. You're the largest voting block, but you don't show up to vote. I would add that. <laughs> Uh, in the last two elections, actually, 55% of young people showed up to vote, and that's actually a record turnout for you. It may be a record, but I think probably 75 or 80% of seniors do. So they're, anyway, we're getting off the path here. But I, I guess back to my, my original uh, question, which is, um, I, I'm thrilled that you are as deeply invested in, you know, public service and trying to mobilize the vote and so on and so forth. That's a wonderful thing. Do you have your days where you are really waylaid by the fact that in your relatively short life, uh, this is kind of cr massive crisis number three that your generation is having to deal with? Yeah, of course. Even before the pandemic, their youth were experiencing some sort of hardship surrounding unaffordable housing, education, or a narrowing job market. And it's only gotten more precarious. That's a word I keep hearing from my peers and from myself is that there's a lot of precarity that we're dealing with. But it's also inspired a lot of movement for young people and a unity around a lot of issues that could be seen, at least especially in the states, as partisan issues. Joel, as you consider what is going to happen to what the Atlantic is calling Generation C for coronavirus, what goes through your head? I think there's three things to consider, Steve. Um, first of all, we have to remember that that uh, your generation, my generation, Richard's generation lived in a kind of uniquely a peaceful moment. I mean, we had to deal with uh, the threat of nuclear war and things like that, but we never had war on our soil. And so there is going to be a, a certain resilience, I think, uh, as well to the generation, but it's definitely going to have an impact. And I agree with Richard um, on that. And, um, you know, the second thing is that the pandemic serves as like a, an x-ray for society. So it reveals all the fault lines that we have already in place in society, um, but they're now exaggerated and they're made visible. So we have 
uh, economic inequality. And that comes out during the pandemic in the form of kids not having access to the internet or not having um, the, the same kind of schooling as other kids. Um, we have these fault lines and they get exaggerated and they get made visible. These were uh, problems in our society that were there before the pandemic. Um, they're ones that are here during the pandemic. And if we don't do things to get rid of them, they're gonna be problems that are here uh, after the pandemic. Um, so I think that when we think about uh, what the impact of this on generations is, we have to think of both those two things, but we also have the fact that uh, we remember that, and you alluded to this, Steve, uh, that for for this for young people, this is an enormously long period of time, right? If we can think back what what eight months was in our lives at 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, it's a it's an enormous amount of time. And so it is going to have a major shaping impact on the way they see the world. A major shaping impact, but something that um, I don't know, they, they can pass through, they can get over, or, or, or may be hobbled by it for the rest of their lives. How do you see it? I think that for a large number of youth, there's going to be a certain amount of resilience. I mean, people do bounce back from things. It's going to shape the way they see the stability in the world and other things, but they are going to move on. For others, because of um, growing inequality, and we also now see the, the Black Lives Matter movement, there's, there's a, a rampant amount of inequality in society, and it's been accelerating. Um, for some youth, there's going to be more damage than for others. Madeline, um, I want to take advantage of the fact that I know your dad a little bit, and I'm trying to imagine the conversations you might have with him that might go something like, listen, kid, I grew up in the height of the Cold War when there were 30,000 nuclear weapons poised at each other from the Soviet Union and the United States, and we all got through it, and everything's going to be fine. And if he says that to you, I wonder what you come back with. Is that a direct quote? Did you, did you tell you that? Um, I may be projecting a bit there, but, but uh, you know, he's around the same age as me, and 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 uh, and and that probably you know that's something that probably has occurred to him at some point. I think there's definitely an idea of um, resiliency in past generations, but I also think there's a resiliency in this generation. I also like to tackle the idea of like the idea that we're not political because uh, the Samara Center for Democracy Research talked about how young people today have been more involved in talking about politics with each other and also more involved in going to protest than generations in the past. I know that Joel mentioned the Black Lives Matter movement, and I think we're realistic about our future. We, we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation right now if adulthood was easy to understand for my generation. But I also think this kind of precarity we're in breeds um, a necessity that also breeds innovation and progress. And that's an inspiring message for a lot of young people. Uh, at Future Majority, we're trying to shape that narrative and make this uh, an opportunity to move forward better as opposed to a position of fear for our generation. Now, that's a fair point. Uh, young people uh, are, are surely politically active today, but not necessarily in a partisan sense. And I guess I wonder, do, do you want, would you like to see your generation as it winds its way through all of these challenges, would you like to see them more active in partisan politics uh, or, or just be sort of politically aware? I think that there are issues across party lines that all young people, at least that we've been speaking to, value. So the issue of access to education is huge, affordable housing, racial justice, environmental justice in our country, and then access to mental health care. These are platforms we've been discussing with young people over the past year that our organization has been working, uh, and they're completely nonpartisan. I think that's a wonderful thing about our country is that we can move forward on these issues 
um, especially with a minority government where cooperation is super important uh, as a whole country, as opposed to bipartisanly. Hmm. Richard, as you consider what advice you might want to offer this generation, based not only on your years of experience, but also your, um, you know, your professional interest in sort of divining where things are going, what would you say to Madeline? Well, it's almost hard to know where to start. There are so many issues on the table. First of all, on an individual basis, they're going, their biggest issue is going to be, can I find a job? Can I make a future for myself? Can I afford housing? Can I afford a family? In that area, I think the kind of advice that I would give Madeline and her cohort is you had better plan on being an entrepreneur because nobody else is going to manage your your career. You would whether you sign your own paycheck as a business owner or somebody else signs your paycheck because you work for them. You had better plan on behaving as if you worked for yourself and was con- were constantly reinventing yourself. From the point of view of environmental issues. Uh, The real issue is not getting young people to be aware of the environmental concerns, but it's to get my generation aware and active in environmental concerns because we have largely sloughed it off. We have been remiss in our own responsibilities. In the economics sector, again, it's a matter of not just awareness, but also action. And it's, it's, again, not so much her generation as it is the older generation's that they have, uh, we have to become more active in, um, in overcoming social inequality. Uh, we have been remarkably selfish. Uh, I, earlier, I talked about the greatest generation, uh, which was my parents' generation. My generation, I've actually described as the greediest generation because we have taken well beyond what we have given back. And it is going to affect Madeline and her uh, peers and the generations before and after. So, I mean, that's kind of a lot to unload in, in one, one, one shot. But I feel that, that uh, there is, they have the resilience, they are bright, they are capable, they're interested, they are involved, but they've got a lot of obstacles to overcome, a lot of which we have put in their way. Madeline, what's your reaction to that advice? Uh, I think it's very good advice. Uh, we're also trying to do that with our group by legitimizing ourselves to politicians. So a lot of politicians are in that older generation. And so um, right now we're actually organizing 16 digital town halls across the most competitive ridings in Ontario to talk about a just and green future moving forward. We've heard this mentioned by the Minister of Finance that, that recovery will be just and green. So both focusing on jobs and on climate. So we're trying to make sure young people's voices on this, because we're all pretty uh, in favor of that, are heard by politicians and and older generations. Programs like this are part of that. Hmm. Joel, I want to tap into your um, knowledge of this generation by virtue of the fact that you teach many of them. And uh, I think you're also a parent to some Gen Zs as well. So you've got uh, double the reasons for uh, insight into this next question. Um, the way they have been raised by their parents, uh, is that going to be helpful or harmful to them as they try to wind their way through this time? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of hand wringing about helicopter parenting, about bubble wrapping kids, and whether that makes them less resilient in the face of these kind of crises. When we see a young woman like Madeline, of course, there's uh, you know tons of room for for good hope. But this generation is facing something that uh, that has nothing to do with the pandemic, um, which is a, a growing sense of alienation. Right? We have more kids who are on medication who feel uh, that they don't have close friendships, who feel that uh, they they aren't forming um, close relationships. Uh, that's probably partly due to social media and so on. It doesn't mean all kids are like that, but we do have an epidemic, not just among youth, but among adults too, of a kind of alienation and a search for meaning. And the good news there is that there's a lot of places to get get involved and find meaning, as Madeline pointed out, right? We have at least five major crises going on right now. The pandemic, uh, issues of violence against Black and Indigenous people, climate change, growing economic inequality, and a diminishing of our democratic institutions. Those are five places where there is entry for kids to jump in and and grab onto something where they can meet with others who think similarly to themselves, make meaning for themselves, and get involved in ways that are meaningful. So you mentioned, Steve, that uh, you know they're going to have to worry about getting jobs and and so forth, and that is definitely true. But they also, and I think they know this, have to worry about finding work that is meaningful, where they can contribute something to society. And there is a lot of room right now for people to do that. And that's, I think, the hopeful silver lining here. Well, Madeline, clearly you're doing with Future Majority work that is meaningful to you there. But let me ask sort of the more bare bones basic question. Were you able to get a job this past summer? Uh, my, I actually worked at a summer camp, so my job was canceled because hmm. uh, no summer. So that was upsetting because I, I love that work. But uh, yeah, everyone's summer has been different. I'm lucky that I've been able to have so much support from my family. I know other kids don't have that situation. Um, but on Joel's point, uh, I think that that idea of social interaction through activism is super crucial. I mean, I think Future Majority because I was sitting having coffee with a friend and I was new to Trent and I wanted to meet people. And now it's taken over my life in the best possible way. Well, can you still meet people? Yeah, <laughs> still getting to know people. And we're still trying to gather more young people around our causes, hmm. which is awesome. Now, is this your last year at Trent? It is my last year, yeah. So what happens next spring? Oh, who knows? Uh, let's see. <laughs> I, I don't know if uh, entering the job market right now is the best thing to do, so I might uh, go to master's work instead. Oh, this is your first degree that you're going for here? Yes. Oh, then for sure do a master's. If you can, why not? Yeah, I'm lucky enough that that's been on the table for me. Yeah, more education is a beautiful thing. Uh, okay, let me read something else here. This is, um, this is from Ipsos. Uh, the research company. Uh, Sheldon, we're on page four here. This is board number two. Projected to be less well-off than previous generations, Gen Z knows they'll also be saddled with the responsibility of rehabilitating today's conflict zones and fishing yesterday's plastic bottles out of the oceans for decades. The problems Gen Z have to solve affect the entire world and probably underpin this generation's interest in causes that champion inclusive change that bring the many, not just the few, up with them. You know, um, Richard touched on this a little bit earlier of uh, not, not just all of the issues around the pandemic right now, but also climate change, uh, the environmental challenges that we're dealing with right now. Madeline, when you talk to your friends, um, do they talk about 
Do they talk about, I want the world to go back the way it was before the pandemic? Um, is, the, is that the kind of future they are interested in? I don't think so. Uh, it's uh, it's about building back better. And I know, that, I know that's been said by a lot of politicians, but it's also something that's being echoed by my friends. Uh, there wasn't really a future that was good for young people before the pandemic. Um, we've talked about economic crises, the environmental issues, and racial justice in Canada. That was all a problem before this. And so we're hoping that this is a, a moment where we can really galvanize people around like the opportunity to build back and building back something that's better than it was before. Okay, you must be a Democrat because, you know, building back better is Joe Biden's expression. You didn't just come up with that this second. Um, we've been using actually in our digital town hall campaign over the summer. Okay, gotcha. Joel, t- tell me about whether or not I mean, Madeline is obviously a marvelous representative of her generation. She is passionate about issues, cares about the future, uh, engaged as a citizen. You know, would that all of her generation, would that all of any generation were that way? I wonder if you see them and her generation as being different in any way from the generation that preceded her. It's it's a great question. And um, one of the things that I think Madeline has had to go through along with her peers, and she's obviously come out in a a terrific way, um, but I think it's been despite rather than because of what we've been doing in schools for the last 25 years. Because schooling, which used to focus on, um, in some ways, at least the ideal of creating democratic and participatory citizens, you know, citizens who can get involved and and uh, do it. Of course, we always wanted kids to be able to get a good job and support their families. But what's happened over the last 25 years is we've narrowed the curriculum in schools um, to focus on standardized testing in math and literacy alone. Other subjects have been pushed to the sidelines, social studies, history, science, arts, theater, uh, you know, sports, extracurriculars. And so what's happened is this kind of myopic focus on just getting a job and, and looking out for yourself. We all know from decades of research that that's not the way we find meaning in the world. Of course, we want to have uh, work where we can support ourselves, but we also need to do things that are that are meaningful. And what this generation has had to face is a couple of decades of schooling that has pushed that idea out of the mainstream and made it uh, marginal for people like Madeline and and others like her to pick up on them by themselves rather than because schools are introducing them to those possibilities. Richard, do you want to follow up on that? I do. Um, the kinds of work that is going to be available to this next generation is going to be very different from their parents' era. In fact, I would go so far as to tell them not to listen to their parents' advice because their parents grew up in a very different world and a very different environment. (laughs) Particularly uh, when you're seeing artificial intelligence, which is really just an umbrella for a wide range of technologies, but when you see AI eating its way up the food chain, essentially eliminating all kinds of routine work, whether it's white collar, you know, legal and accounting, or blue collar, uh, making cars, it doesn't matter anymore. Any work that is routine, anything, any work where you do the same thing more than once, whether it's daily or weekly or annually, is going to be automated. And what that means is that young people are going to have to do work that is constantly creative, constantly innovative. And that's much more taxing. And what it, it does require is that people have a break 
wellsprings beyond specific uh, specific specific studies in STEM, for example. Uh, I've found that in my own career, I've had to draw on art, which I, in which I have virtually no background in music and theater and staging. Uh, and I was a, a math and science nerd, and that's going to be more uh, true in the future than it, than it was for me. So young people have to have a broad education, and they have to plan to be innovative, creative workers, or else they will not be able to find work. Madeline, are you prepared for that future? I mean, I sure hope so. I also think a part of that, though, is uh, challenging our government to support young people, uh, because it's one thing to constantly be innovative, but we know that Certain people who thrive in this economy aren't necessarily uh, equally, they don't start from the same beginning, right? So we know that economic disparity and, and racial inequality is still alive and, alive and well in our country. Uh, and so my generation is hoping to level the playing field a bit by bringing up those issues frequently with government and politicians. Hmm. In, in our last minute here, Madeline, let me give it to you just to talk about you know, I would completely understand if your generation is kind of both skeptical and disgusted about the future. The world is a pretty messed up place right now. What keeps your, you and your colleagues optimistic? Uh, I think remembering, at least in our country, that we are the largest voting bloc and that we really do have a sense of power, both at the grassroots level and at the more political mainstream level. At least that's the narrative I always try to bring with the people I talk to is, is you have power. Because you can feel pretty helpless at a time like this when uh, our future is so uncertain. But we do have an impact on how we move forward. And I like reminding myself and other people that the other young people that we matter and our voices matter. They do, but you got to mobilize them. Definitely. (laughs) That is the challenge. Hey, I want to thank the three of you for coming on to TVO tonight. That was a splendid discussion. Richard Warzel, Madeline Barbarian, uh, in in whom I feel very confident about our future, and Joel Westheimer. It's good of all of you to join us here on TVO tonight. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Steve. The Agenda with Steve Pakin is brought to you by the Chartered Professional Accountants of Ontario. CPA Ontario is a regulator, an educator, a thought leader, and an advocate. We protect the public. We advance our profession. We guide our CPAs. We are CPA Ontario. And by viewers like you. Thank you.